Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where and when you're joining us from around the world for Le Beaujeu, the official Ligue 1 podcast. A word of warning before we start. In recent days, the Ligue 1 world has been turned upside down, shaken about and spat into a parallel universe. Just days after teaching Real Madrid the finer points of the round ball game, Paris Saint-Germain were beaten by Nantes, bringing beautiful joy back to Le Bourgeois. Marseille were dropped from the peloton in the velodrome by Clermont, an all-round golden boy and future president of the world, Aurelien Chouameni, was sent off for a reckless and dangerous challenge. In fact, things have gotten so weird in France that I, Robbie Thompson, down under, and in the absence of regular host Matt Spiro, will be taking charge of this Airbus 380 of the French football podcasts to bring it home. We'll take a look at all the major talking points from a crazy weekend's action. We look ahead to Lille's Champions League clash with Chelsea, find out who won the Sergio Ramos PSG shirt, and we have another Ligue 1 jersey to give away in the Deja Who quiz. We're going to talk relegation and who we fancy for the drop, who we fancy to get out of jail. To help me do all of this and more, I'm joined by French commentary's favourite Scotsman, the very aptly named Andy Scott. How are you, Andy? I'm not bad, Robbie. Thank you very much. You want to be careful when you say that because uh, there was a fellow Scotsman on commentary duty uh, this weekend. So let, let's not let's not offend him. But um, yeah, thank you That's very true. much. Was his name Scott? <laughs> Jeremy Clayman. Jeremy, well. Jeremy Clayman, who was who was in charge of the Nantes uh, Paris Saint Paris Saint Germain game on Saturday. So he had a he had a bit of a belter. But yeah, he was he was in charge of that one. He's from Edinburgh. I'm from Dundee, and uh, obviously that makes me better. So fantastic. Well, we'll stick with it for now then until we get Jeremy on the show. We also have the pleasure of welcoming Angus Tarode back for the first time in 2022. Angus, how are you going? Yeah, another shock move for Liga this uh, weekend then, isn't it? Bringing me back onto the uh, the podcast. Everything's all good. Yep, thank you very much. I was in charge of uh, the Lille game, which was not quite a belter, but uh, we'll get to that, I guess, a little bit later. Absolutely, we certainly will. And thank you both for making time for us, because I know between Coupe de France, women's national team tournaments, which are on at the moment, Ligue 1, you are a couple of very busy commentators. Rest assured, you're taking French football in all its forms to the world. You're fighting the good fight. And so we celebrate you for doing that on Le Bourgeois as well. Don't forget, wherever you are in the world, subscribe, follow us, get us that drop into your basket on a Monday that ping when we appear on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, all your podcast platforms. Rate us, give us a few stars, leave a comment, share us on social media. We have Twitter now, Le Beaujeu, at League One Podcast. It is on Twitter or via email, League One Podcast at gmail.com. We've got all of the housework out of the way. So where else could we possibly start than in France's West at Le Bourgeois? where Nantes produced a truly astonishing upset to defeat Paris Saint-Germain 3-1 on a night where everything went right or wrong, depending on which side of the fence you stand. Let's relive all the action from Saturday night with French football's second 
Scottish accent, Jeremy Clayman. Not trying to make the most of the few numbers they have forward. Good linking between Muani and Simon. The Nigerian plays it back into the Paris man! Well, PSG almost scored at one end, but it's not who have the lead. What a start! Melan, well, the teenager playing beyond his years. Now, Bukari. Melan wants the strike! Oh, it's an absolute screamer! Well, listen to the roar of the bourgeois for one of their own. Ludovic Blas has the chance to give Nantes a 3-0 lead going into the second half. Blas blasts Nantes into a 3-0 lead. And more than that, into ecstasy. The ball to Neymar. Great feet. Well, that is the response of league leaders. Barely a minute into the second half, and Neymar marks his first start in over three months with a fabulous goal. Paris Saint-Germain are beaten by Nantes. A huge roar. Ryan Le Andy Randall Colomwani, Quentin Merlin, his first ever goal. Ludovic Blas, 3-0 at half-time. That's the first time that's happened to Paris Saint-Germain since playing Sochaux back in 2010. How did all this happen? Well, that's, that's I mean, uh, that's, that's a good question. Obviously, I think that maybe the first thing we should do is give credit to Nantes because um, they are a side who, I think they deserve the credit. I think they've obviously improved a lot this season after very nearly being relegated at the end of last season. And I think that the, the way in which they've um, come on is is pretty remarkable under Antoine Kumbari, a manager who was dismissed, I think, by a lot of people, uh, probably ever since he left Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, he, he would have been the man in charge of PSG in 2010, actually, when they lost those. That's right, he was, social. indeed. Um, uh, he was obviously sacked, you know, go back, going back a decade now. He lost his job there and, and kind of struggled to rebuild his career after that. And, and latterly, he was in charge of, a couple of teams um, who were relegated or who were on the point of being relegated when they got rid of him. So, you know, he's come into Nantes, he's turned them around and he's doing a wonderful job there on fairly limited resources, albeit the guys you mentioned, Rondal Kulumwani and Ludovic Blas in particular, these are guys who I think may well be leaving Nantes uh, this summer. We thought they would leave perhaps last summer and, and, and Kulumwani certainly will be on his way and I think they, I think Blas might be um, the subject of a big offer too. And um you know, they are really kind of exceeding expectations this season. I think it will still be beyond them to get into Europe. But they, but listen, it was it was a fabulous night for them. They have a Coupe de France semi-final to come to in, in just over a week's time. So there's a chance that they'll be heading to the Stade de France uh, for the final. So credit where it's due to them. I think they played spectacularly well. And I think that Albon Lafont in goal deserves a mention too, because obviously he actually played really well when not lost in Paris in November. Uh, made some fantastic saves and in the end they were beaten by a couple of late goals one of them an own goal in that game and this occasion obviously he once again made some brilliant saves the, the save from the, the the penalty from Neymar was was outstanding the way that he um, didn't go early and waited for Neymar to make the move and, and made Neymar look pretty stupid it has to be said with the penalty I think had that gone in obviously it would have been down to 3-2 and you would have had a, a, a grandstand finish and you might have fancied uh, Paris Saint-Germain to get the equaliser. But as it was, they held on. 
Um, I suppose uh, what you're insinuating in your question is what went wrong with Paris Saint-Germain. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, obviously, you know, the, coming off the Real Madrid game is very surprising. These things do happen. Uh, that a team has a big result in Europe in midweek and then maybe lets their guard down a bit in the league at the weekend. Actually, Kylian Mbappe warned about it immediately after the, the Real Madrid game. He did specifically say in his post-match interview that we need to be right on it at the weekend against Nantes and, and, and stay focused for the games ahead of the second leg in Madrid. They have this huge lead at the top of the table. It's only their second defeat in the league this season. So in a sense, it doesn't really matter. But the nature of the performance... I think is a concern. There's been quite a lot of that this season from PSG. In a way, it's surprising they've not lost more games um, before now. And I think that they have to they have to look at what went wrong. I mean, ultimately, the, the you, you mentioned that we've been doing other things uh, at the moment. And it is true that on Saturday night, I wasn't actually watching the game live at the time because of other duties. And um, I was walking past a, a restaurant on the way back to the hotel where I was staying. And um, I saw a TV screen with Leonardo appearing, giving a post-match interview. And I thought, hmm, I don't know, yet, don't know what the result is in the game yet, but I can tell that PSG have lost this game because Leonardo is doing an interview uh, after the match. And usually that means there's some kind of crisis on the go. Now, obviously, a lot of the talk after the game was about um, refereeing decisions, PSG complaining about the refereeing decisions. I have to say that shows a bit of a lack of class from them to complain about that. I think in the cold light of day, uh, the decisions that were made were correct whether it was by the referee in the first place or, or because he changed his mind after, after a VAR review. But I think they have to look at themselves and say this was not about the referee. It was about what went wrong for us on the night. And I think it's a combination of not playing really well and, um, and PSG just not being on it. And I think that, you know, they, they need to be careful heading into the Madrid second leg. Um, six changes from the first leg against, um, against Real Madrid. But, you know, they should, of course, have enough to, to win these games. Um, I, I just think that they have problems when you have that front three not getting back to defend. And I think on this occasion, they were beaten by a far hungrier team. Okay, well, well you've just answered to come all. Back on hang that on, term, hang on, Angus. Okay, well that's good because I was just going to yeah. say that Andy has has just answered all four questions I had for the pair of you about uh, about that match. I will put to you, Angus. Then we talk so much and have this season about Paris Saint Germain picking and choosing their matches and how everyone's worried that you know how can this team be playing so badly with Messi, Donnarumma, Verratti, Neymar, Kylian, all these star players, Di Maria. What what's going wrong? A look at the statistics, and this is a bit of a loaded question because I can also come back to Andy. But you know, I'm a PSG sympathizer. I always defend them. So, do you do you buy into that narrative that this PSG side are underperforming? That they they should be doing better, particularly in Ligue 1, where they're still over ten points clear, running away with with the championship. Have just beaten Real Madrid. Is this team the worst PSG team we've seen in recent years? Wow, that is a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think it is. What I think has happened with Paris Saint-Germain this season is that uh, they have had so many injuries, COVID breaks, you name it, that they haven't really managed to consistently turn out what I think you would regard as their number one team. I mean, the trio of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe have barely been on the pitch together. So I think that uh, there is this... There's still this sort of like, they don't really know each other yet. Um, I mean, Neymar's been out since November, I think it was the end of November. Mm -hmm. So he's only just come back. He um, came, he played in the Champions League game for a bit. He started against uh, Nantes. 
he looked very good, actually. I actually did uh, see the Real Madrid game because I was commentating it. Um, so, and I thought they were terrific, actually, um, against Real Madrid. They looked really solid. They they made Real Madrid look very ordinary. Um, and let's let's not forget that Real Madrid are now top of the Liga again. They've got over their blip, seemingly, from the last couple of seasons. Uh, and they made them look very, very quiet indeed. Uh, Mbappe um, has looked absolutely brilliant. In fact, the, I think one of the main reasons why Paris Saint-Germain are still leading in Liga, why they're doing so well in the Champions League, is because he has been the one sort of sentinel around which the whole of the team has been able to perform. He has been in sensational scoring action. He's always driving forward. He scored a fantastic goal against Real Madrid right at the end of the game. And I think there is where perhaps the problems against Nantes came about specifically because there was a bit of a, how should we put this, a lap of honour after the, um, the game against Real Madrid where it almost looked like they had won a trophy. And I think that it's very hard when you come off the euphoria of that kind of a win to then go back into a game against a team that you know you should be beating. I think that they, they, they struggled there. Mbappe actually had a very similar um, chance to score in the 16th minute against Nantes that he had with the goal that he scored against Real Madrid, except that this time he didn't manage to convert. But then he won the penalty. So all the ingredients were there. And if, if Neymar scores that penalty then I think we get a very different result. I agree 100%. I, I would even say that watching the match at halftime, I still felt confident that if Paris Saint-Germain can turn things around early, they got a great goal. Neymar did score, to his credit, a fantastic goal as well. But if, I, if you look at the statistics, and this will bring me to, a, to another point, not PSG-related, that I want to chat to you guys about. Possession, 72% to 28. 16 shots to 13. Nine shots on target to five. All the statistics are in Paris Saint-Germain's favour. Now, I know that doesn't explain the story, the whole story of a match, but when you look at Nantes, they had fewer chances. They took them, and that was the difference. Neymar, certainly the penalty, I think, was a a huge turning point, and I agree 100% with Andy that he looked really quite stupid at at the (laughs) end of it. But but credit to Alban Lafont. But, and that's an, I will say, Neymar, for me, I I thought before Saturday night, is the best penalty taker in the world. I think he is incredibly cool. I love the way he waits, he watches. And Albin Lafont called his bluff. I thought that was was absolutely brilliant. Robbie, on Albin Lafont, let's not forget he's now saved three of his last four penalties. And I'm wondering whether Neymar knew that statistic before he went up against him. I doubt it. (laughs) What do you think, Andy? (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, I think these, uh, yeah, I, I suspect not. I think goalkeepers are usually very well prepared, aren't they, when it comes to, to facing up to penalty takers. I'm not sure that penalty takers themselves think as much about the goalkeeper they're, they're facing. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think just to come back on what Angus was saying about the, the Real Madrid game, because it is true, we haven't obviously done a podcast since the Real Madrid game. Uh, I was at the Parc des Princes uh, last uh, Tuesday evening. It was a fantastic occasion. Uh, yet another occasion in which PSG won a game with a late goal. I, th- I think that although they played very well in that game and certainly deserved to win it without a shadow of a doubt, obviously there needs to be um, they need to be careful because you know there's still a job to do in the second leg. It, there was a bit of euphoria after that game naturally, but of course the lesson the lesson is there from 2017 when they put four past Barcelona and, and still went out. And, and I think with away goals no longer being in play in, in the Champions League, it does make the the one nil uh, advantage. Um, perhaps a bit, a little bit less advantageous heading into the return. We will see what happens in that match. 
I think in general terms, of course, losing one game, it just it doesn't really matter over the course of a season. Uh, I think it's the way in which they lost the game on Saturday. And I think the, the reaction to it, it, to me, is disappointing. I think if you're only going to lose two or three games in a season, do you really need to come out afterwards and complain about the refereeing decisions and all the rest of it? Especially, as I say, when I don't think the referee um, really got anything wrong. I mean, of course, he got the he got the red card decision against Dennis Appiah wrong in the early stages. But then, of course, thanks to VAR, he was able to change it. I think the penalty was was certainly a penalty, the handball by Vinaldum. Um, so I think, you know, I, don't, I think I don't think that I don't think it was the decision so much that were annoying the Paris Saint Germain players, a, apart from little free kicks perhaps here and there. But it was the the demeanour. Yeah, and perhaps this is a problem with Paris Saint Germain as well. But six yellow cards, there were no bad fouls. No, but I think in the, I, I in, think, the, in the match either, of course. But I think just in in, in general, I think it would it would perhaps mm. earn PSG a bit more credit from their rivals, from 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 other observers around Europe, if they if they didn't make such a play about the referee in these situations and accept that these things can happen, that you come up against a not team with a big support, a terrific atmosphere, and it is hard to maintain that same level as 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 they they reached in the Real Madrid game. And, and just accept that it's just the second time this season they've lost. There have been other occasions when that might have happened. I mean, actually, you know, um, thinking back to another game in, in the west of France against Lorient just before Christmas, they were lucky to get a draw in that one, a late equaliser. It happened in Lens earlier this season. They have that character to dig out results. Um, and I think just a bit more a bit more class might help them. I mean, they're in a fantastic position in the league and the Champions League just now, despite losing that game at the weekend. Well, to be fair, I mean, uh, Alban Lafont wasn't just the penalty that he saved. He made nine saves as well. He had a fantastic performance. And sometimes you've just got to face up to the fact that that is going to happen. The goalkeeper will be inspired opposite you. And of course, that means that uh, less possession comes into play for Nantes because if they take a couple of their chances, you've got your goalkeeper performing heroics behind you. And so sometimes that's just the way it is. Now, Andy paid credit, and so did Angus, and I will too now, to Nantes. Antoine Comboare, the former Cascador, as he's known, and we love our history here on the Ligue 1 podcast. Quentin Merlin, he hadn't started a Ligue 1 match until November. There he scored his first ever goal. He was playing left back. He popped up on the right-hand corner of the penalty box, drilled it into the top left-hand corner. It was a, a fantastic goal, dream moment. Statistically, or for the for the record, he became the youngest defender to score a, a Ligue 1 goal for Nantes since Michel Bibar. Now, does anyone know who Michel Bibar is? Because this is what sets the Ligue 1 podcast apart from the rest, Le Bourgeois. <laughs> and I only know this because Michel Bibar, this was in the 1970s when he scored that goal, he went on to play for Paris Saint-Germain in the 1980s. And we did a great story on PSG TV with Michel Bibar because he is very famous for being able to imitate perfectly a referee's whistle while running full pelt down the pitch without any fingers in the mouth or anything, just able to go (laughs) and make the noise of the whistle. So much so that in a classique against Marseille, Jean-Pierre Papin was racing away one-on-one, clear through on goal against Joel Batz, Michel Bibar blew the whistle, Papin stopped and turned, thought he was offside, and referee just went, play on, play on. Play continued, goalkeeper saved it. So, and I, I got him to do the sound, and, we, and, and it is incredible. So there you go, Michel Bibar, still the youngest non-defender to score a league 1 goal. 
Well, M- Michel Bibar, I think looking at looking at the um, the years in which he played for Nantes and PSG, he must have played with Antoine Kumbari at both clubs, just about. Um, absolutely, yeah. And you know, I think I think <clears throat> Conta Merlin's goal, by the way, was was absolutely fabulous. I mean, the way in which he hits across the ball and manages to get it on target from that kind of angle is is absolutely outstanding, and it's certainly worth checking out if you've not seen it. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast now probably has seen the game, but you know. If you haven't, I think that it is worth as well pointing out that Nantes are a club who have a, a history of bringing through very good young players. And, and there's a few of them now in that team. Obviously, Ludovic Blas and Contam, and Contam Merlin and Kolomwani are all players who've come through um, the youth ranks at Nantes. Uh, not Blas, of course, came from Gangon, but, but Kolomwani is, um, is a youth product. And, and I think that these guys are um, shining a light on, on what Nantes have done, you know, behind the scenes at the youth academy when it's something they always did in the past. I mean, um, at the moment, the likes of Valentin Rongier and Leo Dubois have moved to, to bigger league and clubs. But going back, of course, the, the, you know, so many great names in French football have come through the academy at Nantes. And you think of guys like Desailly and Deschamps who played there. And of course, they're maybe not on the same level, but that goal by Quentin Merlin was remarkable. And um, hats off again to Antoine Comboire. Absolutely. Because who would have thought when Antoine Comboire was appointed there that he was the answer, the solution? to all their problems after his recent run at Toulouse and Gangon, where he, I think he became the first coach to take two clubs down in a, in a single season. It's been a club that's had so much unrest over a decade that uh, Valdemir Kitta must have, I mean, even he must have been wondering if he'd had the right, got the right man for the job in, in Antoine Comboire. It proves he has. Well, moving on. PSG have shown us that Ligue 1 form doesn't necessarily reflect what's going to happen in Europe. And Angus, that's probably good news for Lille, because Chelsea wouldn't exactly be shaking in their boots after watching them take on Mets. Um, I would normally, Angus, throw to your commentary highlights of the match here on uh, on Le Beaujeu, but uh, I think we'll avoid that because there were no goals and there were barely any chances. Now, we're not going to spend an hour talking about uh, such a dour match, but but what's happened to this Lille side? They're doing so well in Europe as well. What is going to happen? Well, they, um, I think the big trouble in the league that they're having at the moment is that um, Burak Yilmaz and uh, Jonathan David, despite him being actually second top scorer in the, uh, the league, recently are on a bit of a goal drought. I mean, they, they looked lacking in confidence. Um, David hasn't scored in 2022 for his club, despite the fact that he's been on fire for Canada in uh, World uh, Cup qualifying. Burek Yilmaz is on a similar dead run, if you like, in terms of being in front of goal. David had probably the best chance of the game, um, put through one-on-one with the keeper and completely shanked his shot off the inside of his boot. Um, He managed to get a corner out of it, but it wasn't even on target. Burek Yilmaz had two or three chances where last season when he was literally the talisman up front for Lille in their surprise Ligue 1 victory, he just did not look like he knew where the goal was. And he spent the whole of the match being frustrated. Of course, I think he's generally frustrated at the moment at Lille um, in general. And they just they just couldn't get it together. And it was interesting that Jose Font, in his interview afterwards, gave a very outspoken um, interview about the referee, funnily enough, we come back to that um, uh, subject again, saying how he was not at all happy with the referee. Um, he said he didn't allow them to play. He said that they, um, they he, he blew for fouls that really were not fouls. They, they were just hard challenges and it broke the game up. 
And he over and over again, about four times, he, he expressed his uh, dissatisfaction with how the referee played. But uh, I would imagine that there will be a fair amount of dissatisfaction with the way that the team played as well. And it's not the first time that they have come out um, and looked very, very um, neutral in the way that they approach the, um, the whole thing. Andy, they have a big game coming up in midweek. It's true, that was disappointing. I have, I have a little sympathy for Jose Font because I watched the match and, and it all came <laughs> to a head in the last 10 minutes where there were a couple of free kicks blown against Lille when they were, when they were on the front foot, when they wanted a corner and, and Jose Font in particular was, was, had a couple of free kicks blown against him, which if I was on the whistle... I would never have given either, but it is a common theme, and we and I think it's going to be a common theme coming up in our next chat as well. But I think Andy's position is: if you lose a match, just take it on the chin. Don't talk about the referee. Fair enough as well. Andy, let's talk a little bit about Chelsea and in Europe because Lille have been good in Europe. They've belied what's been some fairly mediocre domestic form to fly the flag in Europe. Can it possibly continue against a Chelsea side that no league are and a Chelsea side that are flying? Um, well, I think, you know, obviously you look on paper, you would suspect not. Um, with the first leg being in London, what's going to be really important for Lille is to, to keep the tie alive heading back to, to France uh, in mid-March, of course. My fear is that I think it needs to be, I think any more than a one-goal defeat and, and they will be, um, they'll be effectively out. I think if they go there and lose, you know, even 2-0, 3-1, I think it's too much for them. So they need to try to rediscover that defensive um Strength, which which really got them through last season, of course. I mean, I mean, I know they kept a clean sheet at the weekend and actually won one nil the week before. But in general, they've conceded fifty percent more goals already this season than the whole of last season in the league. So it's very important for them that they have that defensive solidity at Stamford Bridge. P- important point about Chelsea because although they've um, they've not been losing games, you know, obviously they won the Club World Cup um, just over a week ago. They won in the Premier League at the weekend narrowly, but they've not been They've not been brilliant in the last few months um, in England. And I think, you know, obviously they tailed away in the, in the Premier League title race. So maybe there is a chance for Lille there. Uh, having said that, the tremendous quality that, that, um, that Chelsea have means that, of course, they're the favourites. I mean, we never expected Lille um, to get through this tie. I think probably not many people expected them to get to the knockout stages at all. I think this is an occasion for them to enjoy. And they shouldn't, of course, expect that they should be beating um, Chelsea. It would be wonderful for French football um, if if they could do that. It would be tremendous for them. But, you know, they're the outsiders. I think go there go there to London, give a good account of themselves and keep the tie alive for the second leg in three weeks' time. That's got to be the objective. And um, Angus, sorry, we, we spoke last season after they won the league that it was something like a shop window for Lille and that players were going to leave. In the end, they probably held on to more players than we thought for this campaign. But is this another chance for these players who who play for us let's say even though they are French champions they're not a Marseille they're not a Paris they're not a Lyon Lille are a, a, a solid side but they're a side we know have had financial problem is this just a godsend for the club as well and is this just a giant shop window the likes of Renato Sanchez the likes of Jonathan Bomber Jonathan David is this their moment to to say here I am come and get me it probably is I don't want like saying that about Liga but uh, yes it probably is I mean it's a, I think it's a um, it's a magnificent occasion for them all round and let's not forget it's their first last 16 tie in 15 years now in the Champions League so it's a huge occasion regardless of whether or not they're expected to win or get trounced. I think with regards to um, Chelsea, 
something that Thomas Tuchel said at the weekend after their win over Patrick Vieira's uh, Crystal Palace was that um, they have barely been playing in the same competition for a long time in a while. So they keep changing. It's very hard to get into a, a certain competition. So if there is a thread of uh, hope for Lille, maybe it's in that. Uh, they, don't have Ma- they didn't have Mason Mount at the weekend either, who is one of their driving forces going forward. So perhaps that's another tiny thread that they could draw from. But the problem is, is that when I see how Lille played at the weekend, it's difficult to know where they're going to get that spark from. Having said that, they wouldn't be the first team to have um, completely mucked up a, um, a game in their domestic league that they should easily win and then suddenly come out all guns blazing in a Champions League game, which they may well have had their eyes on or in the first place anyway and didn't really concentrate on the game at the weekend. Just a, just a quick point, probably worth uh, mentioning this to anyone of a, of a maybe of a Chelsea persuasion who's listening who doesn't always follow Lille, it's probably worth pointing out that since they got through their group, um, they'd have, of course, lost Jonathan Icone to Fiorentina, who was, you know, a very important player over the last uh, few years for them and um, a real creative threat, you know, um, sort of behind the, the strikers or on the wing. So in that sense, they are perhaps weakened compared to, to the, the situation in the first half of the season, even if they have retained the, the majority of the, the, the players who, who won them the title last season. You are listening to Andy Scott and Angus Tarode, myself, Robbie Thompson on Le Beaujeu. Follow us on Twitter. We have a new Twitter handle, League at League One Podcast. Same on Gmail. If you want to get in touch, ask us some questions, leagueunpodcast at gmail.com. Bordeaux have a new coach, David Guillon. His first match in charge was against Monaco. Tony Jeffers brings us all the action. Adley. First time shot and there's the goal. 1-0. Just the start that Bordeaux wanted. Brilliant play. Udan the scorer. And you can't say that came against the runner plate. Bordeaux haven't been bossed around here. Just beginning to find their stride. Kept plugging away. And Uda with a clinical finish. Angled header. Not exactly finding its target. And as a result, Chiromeni is now sent off. Well, look at that. Two yellow cards in the space of six minutes. And the French international takes the long walk. Good ball for Gelson Martins to run onto. Cuts inside. Goes the long way round, pulls the trigger. And there's the equaliser. Took a cruel deflection, but they'll take that. Oh, it's a comedy goal. It's a pinball goal. Hamid Hodgic's header rebounds off the Brazilian Marcelo and into the back of the net. Past the hapless Poussin. So Remy Udin. Midway through the first half, Marcelo own goal midway through the second meant that Bordeaux, so close to that first win for David Guillon, so close to a first win that would really have done them the world of good as well. In the end, probably a deserved share of the spoils. Two talking points for me. Crazy red card for Aurelien Chouameni. Seriously, it was... And and we've had... A discussion already today about referees. Marco Verratti not happy about more the attitude than anything else. Jose Font, very, and his post-match interview, Angus, that you referred to, he said, it's a physical game. It's a contact sport. You have to tackle. The referee is saying no tackling. This was not even a tackle. 
He just won the ball. He took the ball, and because he was moving in a forward direction, it took him into a player who arrived late. It wasn't even dangerous when he took the ball. The player wasn't there yet. The player arrived after he'd won the ball. He was so so much in advance. How can you give this as a red card? And please, I'm sharing the player's pain here, Andy. We should we should have a a, a coup de girl on on um, on terrible referee <laughs> decisions, shouldn't we? Take it all back. Well, we'll leave it to Marco Verratti to do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I you know I have to say, I mean, of course, what what I said about about PSG and the referees uh, stands, but you know when there is a, a a wrong decision, I think we should call it out. I mean, in this case, the context matters. You know, in the, in the first half of a game, a player who's not long been booked. You know, I mean, it, it was it was maybe you could say it was maybe a slightly clumsy tackle uh, on Jean Onana of of Bordeaux, but he was his first yellow card. I think was about ten minutes earlier. You know, I think maybe yeah. give give him a warning and say right, we'll go into halftime and 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 start again. But of course, that has an impact on on the game as a spectacle. We talk about the importance of creating a spectacle. It is a shame, and and for me, it's incredibly soft. There is there is a there is a cultural difference. I mean, a lot of the time when I'm watching games on the television in France. And and you see a challenge go in, and and the, the commentator and the co-commentator here on French TV will often say, "Oh, that's a terrible foul. It should be yellow card, red card." Whereas I'm watching it, thinking, "Nah, it's fine." There's that there's that element of, of physicality, uh, which we let players get away with, perhaps traditionally in the British game, which is not the case here. I think, but they say they the the French use the term excès d'engagement. Yeah, which to me now that. That should not exist. No, that is not uh, that is not a bad thing. Exactly. It basically means too much, too much energy. Yeah, too it, much energy in that challenge. It, it, it's, it's a crazy thing to say. I mean, I completely agree with you, and I think on on this occasion, um, you know, I mean, I wasn't watching the game <clears throat> with the with the French commentary. I was I was following it with uh, with Tony Jeffers' commentary at the time, and so I'm not sure what the French commentators had to say about it. But obviously, from our point of view, it's very soft, and it, you know, I mean. It has an impact on Monaco, even though they, they came back to get a draw. Um, in the, in the long run, for them losing a player of Germany's quality for the next match is 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 a blow, and um, you know they are just not getting the results they need to to really push themselves into contention for a Champions League place, which is where they need and where they want to be next season. That is a result which doesn't particularly help either side. I think probably more beneficial to Bordeaux, despite the fact that they they had the extra man. And the own goal they conceded. I mean, you, you mentioned it, but absolutely mm. farcical. Yeah, comedy. Farcical. Comedy and how, how, how you have a team there who, who had conceded, you know, 60-odd goals this season, a dreadful defence. So they move in the January window to sort that out. They bring in a couple of guys, Marcelo and Ahmed Hodzic. And the two of them, the two of them, if you've, not seen, if you've not seen it, I mean, you know, even from hearing Tony's commentary, it should be enough, but uh, just, just, just farcical and, you know, a, a point against Monaco, is, I suppose, is something to build on, but they've got a long way to go over there to avoid relegation. I'll go to Angus on, on this one. David Guillon, what do you think, Angus, in terms of a, a French coach who, who did well at Reims? It probably started to plateau off for him after he did brilliantly to bring them up. I think he wanted a new challenge. We, we expected him. He was in the conversation for, for perhaps Monaco, um, earlier this season when, when Kovac was let go, he's been in and around the conversation for other clubs as well. Who, who There were lots of changes at the start of the season. What do you make of, of David Guillon? Well, David Guillon, uh, he's not been relegated yet, so that's one plus um, <laughs> in his favour. So he was promoted um, with Rance in his first season with them. Uh, he then kept them in Ligue 1. So 
when you can keep a, a team like Rance in the top flight, which doesn't have the biggest budget in the world, then you, and it's a safe pair of hands, generally regarded as technically sound. So you can see why they went for him. Um, I think that uh, they're on a, a real problem at the moment because they just don't, again, they're a team that just don't have any confidence. Um, I think what um, Bordeaux were hoping for, they were hoping for the magic bullet that um, Saint-Étienne have just swallowed. Um, whether or not that proves to be the case, I don't know. I mean, Saint-Étienne seems to have just gone absolutely bonkers recently. They even got a draw against Strasbourg at the weekend, who are challenging for um, European action at the other end. Uh, but I can't see them and Mets. I can't see how they're going to turn these things around because they just look so devoid of keep, confidence. Keep your powder the- dry, Angus. This chat's coming up. Indeed. <laughs> okay, stum. We are... Yes, Stop. we are going to talk relegation, but we're going to bring in a couple of other clubs as well. But I am Absolutely. looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that and certainly about Saint-Étienne. Shall we get to that quickly then? Let's keep, uh, let's keep moving. It's time for all our French football fans to test themselves, you listening at home, your knowledge of Le Championnat et son histoire. It's déjà who. And before we give you the answer, for there was a big, big jersey on offer last week, Sergio Ramos. Before the Paris Saint-Germain-Real Madrid clash, we put this one up for grabs. Here comes the clue that it was, and I'll put it to uh, Andy and Angus as well. This was a tough one. I think it's the first time we had so many wrong answers in a, in a deja vu, but we also got plenty of correct ones. Here it is. I was born in Africa to a French father and a Spanish mother. I made my professional debut in the country of my birth, winning the league in several cups before moving to the first of two French clubs where I enjoyed immense success. I won the Ligue 1 and the Coupe de France in the south and then again in the north. I was denied European glory by a former teammate, but it was on the international stage where I set a record that still stands to this day. Who am I and what is my record? Now, I don't expect either of you to get this just off the bat because it, it requires a little bit of research, but... Ian yeah. really has an imagination on him, doesn't he? Goodness no, me. this was me. This was oh, me this now. Oh, you. Yeah, oh, I'm, getting, right. I'm getting nasty. Ian was far too nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was listening at the time uh, last week and, and I was completely, completely stumped, to be honest. I mean, I was thinking of a, a player who won the League and Cup double in the North. I thought maybe Lille in 2011, but I just can't. I can't think. I'll give you the clubs. One was clubs uh, in Morocco, in Casablanca. Okay. And then Nice, and then a very famous Reims side. So when I said north, it was sort of north, but it wasn't quite north. That was a bit, <clears throat> I admit, a bit misleading. The champagne country, yeah, honestly. I think you were, you were just about there, Andy. Ah, uh, okay. So we're going back a little bit further than, than usual <laughs> on this occasion. Okay, so, 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 so it's, exactly. it's, it's just Fontaine. It's got to be just Fontaine. That's right. Absolutely. 13 goals in one World Cup in 1958. Not bad. Not bad. And of course, lost the European Cup final with Reims in 1959 to uh, his old mate Raymond Copper in the Real Madrid side. It was a tough one, but Michele Mas got it right, or Michel, perhaps, excusez-moi, if it's Michel or Michele in the Italian. Congratulations, either way, I'm sure you'll forgive me, because there's a Sergio Ramos shirt coming your way. Now, 
for this week's clue. And this one, we return to uh, the modern day for you. So uh, I'll be testing you both without... You can just tell me if you've got it or not at the end. Here we go. Deja vu. Born in France's southeast, my professional career has never left the area. I've played for four clubs along the Mediterranean coast over the last decade. Often obliged to play... That should be enough for you too, by the way, already, but we'll continue. I've often been obliged to play second fiddle to those around me. My timing and intelligence, however, have enabled me to play over 400 career matches and score over 100 goals. Perhaps my footballing brain comes from my father. While we both lost a final on the European stage, my single Ligue 1 title is dwarfed by his three championship triumphs and one Coupe de France crown. So who am I and who is my dad? To go into the draw for your chance to win a Gael Kakuta, Racing Club de Lens jersey, send us your answer. Who am I and my father to Ligue 1 podcast at gmail.com. Oh, that's a Andy, without jersey. giving anything gone, away, you've got, you've gone, you've got the, the pendulum. I've gone too far the other way. Yeah, I, I got that. I got that straight away. I got that straight away. <laughs> Angus, thank you for humiliating me. No, okay, well, you, you could have said you could have said you had it. No, uh, I'm sorry, but one thing I do deal in is truth. Okay, very good, fair enough. Well, that's why professional football, you're still upholding all the true values, Angus. Honesty yeah. and trust, that, that's excellent. Let's keep going. So far, well, last weekend in Ligue 1, Lyon 1-1 with Lens. It leaves them in 8th and 10th, respectively. They're not out of the race for Europe yet, though. I guess a similar could be said about AS Monaco, who we've already chatted about as well. Nice had plenty of chances and in the end got across the line over Angers. They had two goals disallowed as well. Justin Clivert getting his third of the season. Reims drew 1-1 with Brest. Volt face scoring again. Uruguayan Martin Satriano netting the equaliser for Brest. That's three goals in four games, but just three goals in 79 minutes of football for him. Now we're going to turn our attentions, however, to the relegation dogfight. Just quickly, 21 points. That is bottom place at the moment, but there are four clubs on bottom. Trois, who lost 4-1 to Rennes. They got a couple of great goals from Rennes along the way. Um, A couple of fantastic assists from Melling for Serhu Gerassi and Martin Terrier. Lorient also lost 1-0 to Montpellier. Tegi Savagné getting the goal there. It means they're level with Metz and Bordeaux, who we've already spoken about. I'll put my hand up here. I thought Saint-Étienne were dead and buried a few weeks ago. They're not exactly in the clear, but they are certainly alive and kicking under Pascal Duprat. After three wins in a row, they drew with Strasbourg, as Angus was so keen to tell us. So I'm going to go straight to you, Angus. There were four goals in the first 34 minutes. Strasbourg, who were champions for the one and only time in 1979. Saint-Étienne, the last time of their 10 was 1981. This was really one for the Romantics, and it delivered. Now, Angus, tell us, Saint-Étienne, are they going to do it? Well, despite their renaissance, they are still only one point um, above deep trouble, So, which shows you how much trouble they were in once upon a time. Um, so the mere fact they've given themselves a chance is great. 
I think that they have certainly more chance than uh, a few teams below them from the fact that they are now confident. I mean, if you can get a 2-2 draw against Strasbourg, who have had a great run recently, only one defeat in their last six now, um, and in fourth place under Julien Stefan, who is once again proving that that uh, great run he had at Rennes is no um, coincidence. Uh, I think, though, that uh, there are teams below them, as I might have mentioned earlier, before when I didn't <laughs> keep my powder very dry, uh, who could be in deeper trouble than them. Um, Mets and Bordeaux, I think um, they are going the wrong way. And at this time of the season, it is not the time to start showing your worst form. Uh, the one provider for Bordeaux is that now they've got a new coach is that he'll need maybe three or four games to well, get his um, philosophy across. It's going to be, have to be a quick-fire philosophy because usually coaches need a lot longer than that to change culture. Um, but I still think that Mets and Bordeaux, where they are at the moment are the ones who will go down automatically. Andy, let's go to you because I wasn't expecting this from Saint-Étienne. I wasn't expecting it from Pascal Duprat either. And so hats off to Pascal Duprat because I wasn't sure he had this in him either. Compared to David Guillon, Angus is not buying into that coaching change. I wasn't buying into Saint-Étienne. Where where do you sit? Well, um, first of all, Pascal Duprat is the man, of course, who led Toulouse to a, a great mm-hmm. escape a few years ago. So maybe he's got the formula in that regard. I mean, Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux, in, in some respect, are two clubs who I almost feel like they kind of need to go down and try to rebuild again from the second tier. I think this has been coming for a couple of years for these clubs. Um, Saint-Étienne have won, won three and drawn one of the last four now in the league, I think. So... They're going in the right direction. I mean, if you look at it now, you would say that if, if I had to pick two teams, I'd probably pick Troyes and Lorient as the two teams to finish in the bottom two. Lorient are on a dreadful run. I think it's one win in about 19 games, uh, one win in an entire half season. Troyes are not doing well at all. They, they've already changed their coach in the last couple of months. Um, Bruno Irles is not really having uh, much of an impact there. Whereas Bordeaux have got the new coach in and a chance for them to build some momentum. Saint-Étienne have already got that momentum. I think mess with Frederick Antonetti have got that fire in their bellies and, and might still pull away having said that obviously things can change very quickly and maybe maybe momentum will 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 come to one of the other teams so it, it's hard to say at the moment I, I have just suspected for a while that, that Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne could probably do with going down but I, I think we're at this juncture still with about three months of the season remaining I wouldn't be surprised if the two of them still managed to just about pull away of course David Guillaume at Bordeaux was somebody who Saint-Étienne wanted but didn't want to go there. And I think it's interesting that, that he was then willing to, to make the move to Bordeaux, whether he sees something different about that club, um, maybe a bit more money behind him, a bit more ability to bring players in in January, which they did. So, um, yeah, at the moment, I think if you had to, to, to get a couple of names from me, it would be Twan Lorient, but I do think that could change, you know, very quickly. I mean, at the moment, Clermont, who we might talk about as well, have, have, have suddenly started winning games and all it takes is, you know, a run of two or three wins in a row and, and, and suddenly you can be lifting lifting yourself right up the table. I, I think the problem, uh, obviously Bordeaux, I think, have brought in David Guillaume um, because when he was at Reims, uh, he managed to keep them very tight at the back. But of course, he did have Axel mm-hmm. de Sassi helping him out at uh, that point. Um, Bordeaux, I think the one thing that really separates them from all of those other teams that we have been talking about is the sheer porous nature of their defence. And if they don't sort that out, I mean, they, they're the only team to have conceded over 50 goals this season and they've conceded over 60. So if they don't sort that out, they have no chance of uh, going up, I think, because their attack is not potent enough to be able to outscore the opposition. 
I, th- I think, well, that's that's mainly because the defence is so bad. I mean, they have scored a lot of goals, Bordeaux. They've scored more goals than anybody else in the, in the bottom half. And, and um, you know, they do deserve maybe some credit for that. I mean, Huang in particular is is a very decent league on striker but they are the yeah, they are yeah. the um they are the only i think the first, the only team since 1960 actually to have not kept a clean sheet this far into the season i think that was something i saw yesterday um you know 25 games in they've still not managed to keep a clean sheet so it's it's pretty clear where the new manager needs to focus his attention well, surely that deserves to go down on a stat like that. I mean, they even lost their forty-four-year-old record against at home record against Marseille this year, yeah. and that I mean, that's not since nineteen seventy-seven had they lost at home to to Marseille. That one's gone. All the records are going. But Andy, I get the feeling what you're saying about how you know you think it could almost be good. I don't know if I ever really agree with that. I know what you're saying, but basically, you're talking about what's been happening off the pitch at these two clubs for so many years and it's been so frustrating for their supporters. They've been pulling their hair out. And Bordeaux, we see it a bit more because, you know, the Southwest is traditionally rugby town and everything. Saint-Étienne, I mean, Bordeaux are a famous club. They won, you know, several titles in the 1980s as well when they had a, a fantastic team. They made European Cup finals in the 90s with, with Zidane and Lizarazu. But, but Saint-Étienne, their fans are still there. The fans are like ones carrying this this burden, this this incredible cross to bear of being a Saint Etienne supporter. It's been hellish for you know nearly a decade since they last came back up, as well because they had a nice moment under Christophe Galtier. He should, with hindsight, be taking even more credit for that. But this is a, a great club that's just. I mean, surely someone just needs to go in there and get the get the house in order. Well, there is obviously a lot of talk. Um, there has been for months about uh, new buyers coming in and, and the, the owners looking desperately for, for somebody to come in and invest in the club, whereas Bordeaux have already moved to that stage. Uh, Gerard Lopez um, took over prior to this season. So in, in that sense, they're a step ahead. I mean, uh, we'll see what happens at Saint-Étienne. I think they're still paying the price on the field a little bit for um, bringing in a lot of older players a few years ago after Galtier left and, and Jean-Louis Gasset came in as manager um, and they were in a sticky position at that point. And then they brought in the likes of Jan and Villa, Mathieu Dubushi, uh, several others who obviously came in on big wages, almost led them to Champions yeah, they League qualification. They re-signed as well. They yeah. re-signed Budabu's Kazri. Exactly. And and yeah. now you're left with a situation where Kazri remains and is, is their key player. But beyond that, they've, they've struggled to offload these players on big wages. They've not had the money to invest in new signings. And, and they're left in a very difficult position. It does seem that Pascal Dupin might be the man to pull them away. But I remember Matt asking the question uh, on this on this podcast at the beginning of last season. And of course, pre-season predictions, you know, they very rarely come to fruition. But I remember him asking the question, you know, who was going to struggle? And at that point, you know, I said Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne looked like they're going to struggle. That was the beginning of last season. And um, maybe now <laughs> is finally the time when it's happening. But maybe they will both be saved by the... Um, the lack of quality of the teams around them. Ultimately, to have five teams at the bottom all separated by one point is is pretty remarkable. Well, Angers and Reims are in that next group just ahead of the bottom five. The bottom five covered by just one point. One side that's got a bit of wind in their sails, Clermont. They uh, looked like they were just about to get sucked back in a few weeks ago, but they too have managed to turn things around. And then this crazy league and weekend of action, well, they just did the business at the Stade Velodrome against Marseille. And Andy, you were commentating this one. 
ball over the top again there's that high line that could be exposed here Dacunha Bayo waiting at the edge of the box Bayo hits it it's a tremendous goal and Clermont in front at the velodrome Marmid Bayo hadn't scored a goal in 2022 but he has now just their second corner of the game there's the header into the net it's 2-0 for Clermont and Jim Alivina, the look on his face, he can barely believe it. The ultimate smash and grab act from a Clermont team visiting this stadium for the first time in their history. And they're going to leave here with three points tonight. Yeah, I mean, they, they, it was a bit of a smash and grab because they came there, scored the early goal and then and then sat back, were well organised and, and Marseille didn't really look like scoring. Dimitri Payet said after the game that we, we deserve to lose that game. Maybe, um, well, the literal translation is maybe we need to deflate some of our, some of the heads uh, in, in the team. Obviously, the, the suggestion that they've been getting a bit big-headed and carried away with how good they were. Marseille in second place, Clermont uh, just above the relegation zone. Yeah, Cl Cl Clermont were... I mean, a fabulous night for them. They'd never played at the Velodrome before, far less won there. And Jim Alivina, the substitute who scored the second goal, one of the smallest players in either squad, getting up to head in at the back post. It was his first ever league on goal. And, and he couldn't believe it. You could see the look on his face. Like, what's just happened here? He, he was almost crying. It yeah. looked like he was almost crying it, when he when he realised what had happened. Really, really, really remarkable. I mean, yeah, I think they deserved the win for the way in which they were um, well-organised and, and hard-working, even if they didn't exactly, you know, offer much going forward in between the two goals because they didn't need to. Mohamed Bayo's goal was fabulous. Terrific strike, his 10th mm -hmm. of the season. Um, and and a third win in four for them because they'd also beaten Ren and Nice away, Nice away in, in the last few weeks. So they've suddenly started winning games a bit like Saint-Étienne, possibly at the right time. Um, fantastic for them. And from Marseille's perspective, very disappointing. They've already lost at home this season to Lens and Brest. These are not teams that usually they would expect to be struggling against at home. They've drop points against other teams as well. Um, and although they're still in second place, I think there's just a bit of concern for Marseille. A lot of the time this season, they've been really, really entertaining to watch, really exciting, very unpredictable under Jorge Sampaoli. Sometimes they've been very flat. And you look back to the autumn when they played Clermont and other teams like that and, and struggled to get results. And yeah, they're just looking a bit tired. And of course, Arkadiusz Milik started the game last night after all the talk of his heroics last weekend coming off the bench and him not understanding that scoring twice in Europe on Thursday, being taken off and not being happy. The reality is that it didn't work last night with him in the team. And, you know, when you've not got that movement, Milik doesn't offer much movement. He's a brilliant finisher in the penalty box, but when he doesn't have that movement and when the service is not there, it doesn't work. And, and you do wonder if he's going to be in the team next week or, or for the game on Thursday. That was a big talking point on the Ligue 1 podcast last week, Le Beaujeu, the role of Akadiz Milik in that side. Angus, Marseille, can we use the European excuse? I mean, they, were, they, they didn't have it all their own way against Karabag, and they may not have it all their own way uh, in the return leg of that playoff match as well. But look, they're still in second place. They're, I think they're a point ahead of Nice, who uh, closed up the gap at the back there behind them. Can they, can they hold on to that? I mean, only the top two qualify automatically for the Champions League. And is this Marseille inconsistency going to prove costly? Well, it's been interesting that uh, throughout the season, whoever has been second to Paris Saint-Germain at any point in the season has seemingly seemed to have gone off the boil. We saw it with Lance earlier, Rennes as well. They also struggled when they were the nearest challengers. Nice then came in and looked like they might actually be able to put together a run that would 
consolidate uh, that second place. And then they went off the boil as well. Um, and they actually, they've been in a, a, this one of the most enjoyable parts of this uh, Liga and campaign, actually, is the battle between the two Mediterranean rivals as to who will take that second um, Champions League place. I think we can probably all agree that um, no one's going to catch Paris Saint-Germain now, even regardless of what we think about their form. They're too far ahead. They're just not going to drop that many points, particularly when you see that the teams that are behind them can't be trusted to put a, together an all-winning run themselves. Um, I think with Arcadius, Milik has been a, um, a an unwanted uh, distraction with what's been going on off the field, whether he should be in the side, whether he'll be in the club next season or not. Um, hasn't really helped. Uh, he looks, every time he scores, he looks like he's very angry rather than very happy um, because he thinks he should be in the side. Um, but I think that um, generally, it's uh, this is where the um, the tension in this uh, season's top end race, if you like, stands. And it's uh, I think it's a measure of just how brilliant, if I can move it on to Christophe Galtier, what he's done with this knee side to even put them in a position to be able to challenge for automatic uh, Champions League qualification. When you consider where they were when he came in, is nothing short of remarkable. And he surely is... After what he's done at his previous clubs, of course, Ren, then at um, uh, Lille, he's he's one of these stars and maybe even a candidate to be the manager of the year again, even though he's not actually going to win the league again. And they hammered them in the cup as well, didn't they? That was a that was a big win. Yep, and that's right. Uh, they they have a semi final of the Coupe de France coming up at the beginning of. Uh, March up against uh, the lowly Versailles, whose heads they will probably chop off, I would imagine, even though it's not uh, in Versailles. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, they, they, they have proved themselves to be up for the big occasion. What Lisa are knacking in terms of a title challenge is consistency at the moment. But I think that they are the best team in the league outside of Paris Saint-Germain. Andy, a comment on the on the Champions League race very quickly? Yeah, yeah. at the moment it looks like Marseille and Nice, doesn't it? I think that Strasbourg probably won't maintain their challenge, uh, unfortunately. I mean, you keep waiting for Monaco and, and Lyon to, to put a proper run together. It looked like we might have that from Lyon and then they've they've um, they've stumbled again. I think that they might be helped by the, the lack of consistency of the teams below them. Uh, Marseille, when they're on their game, do do have the quality to to finish certainly in the top three. But uh, yeah, I, I'd be a bit concerned about the way in which they've they've um, fallen away in the last in the last couple of matches. The performances have not been great, and the digging out results. Uh, but I'm not sure how how sustainable that is in the long run going forward. It's such a tricky one. It's such a prize to be qualified for Champions League football the next year. You have to really put all eggs in that basket, focus on that, because as we've seen with Olympic Lyonnais, when you don't make it for a couple of years, it it has wide ramifications amongst the squad, amongst the coaches, the feeling around the club, the confidence that just slowly starts to, to dissipate, I think, because there's no reason why when you look at Olympic Lyonnais, why aren't they there now? You know, things are just slowly unravelling. They've got to They've got to try and take stock and get it back. That's it. For us, before we go, we still have football coming up next week in Ligue 1. It's time to take a bon voyage. And since this is my one and only role at hosting, I'm going to go first on this one and get in and put you both on the spot. I'm going to choose for my big match this coming weekend, Montpellier versus Rennes the Gaeton Labordico. And because (laughs) 
he is returning back to Montpellier, the Rennes striker. He was on the score sheet um, at the weekend. He didn't score when they first met Rennes this season. Rennes got a 2-0 victory. He did play, though. He was a great servant for Montpellier. I think he left there on good terms, having arrived from Bordeaux. And I would expect nothing less from a, a proud and slightly unconventional football club and their supporters, Montpellier, to really give Gaetan Laborde a hard time when he comes back to the Stade de la Mosson. I hope they do, just because that's their image for me. No friends. We've got no friends. We're Montpellier. Gaetan Laborde, yeah, he was great when he was here. When he comes back, we're going to whistle him. We're going to give him a hard time because he doesn't play for us anymore. I hope it's that way. Andy, where are you headed? <laughs> well, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think um, obviously it's been a few weeks now since <clears throat> since uh, we've had full stadiums back in France, which is which is great. And uh, more than 50,000 at the Velodrome last night, which was wonderful. And um, therefore, I quite fancy going to Strasbourg because Stade de la Meno is, is a tremendous stadium. Um, you know, when full, it's always full when, when fans are allowed in. Terrific atmosphere. It's a good time to be a Strasbourg fan because they are fighting for European qualification and they play Nice at home. So that's fourth against third. And a Strasbourg win would lift them above Nice on goal difference in the table as well. So I think that's going to be a really interesting game. Strasbourg's a fabulous city to visit. It's about two and a half hours on the train from the Gare de l'Est in Paris, which is walking distance from my apartment. So it's an easy an easy one for me. So mm-hmm. that yeah, that would be a, a terrific game. I think there will be... Um, uh, goals in that one because there usually are when Strasbourg are involved as well so that's where I'm going to go Absolutely that looks a spectacular match on paper as well Angus what's on your agenda for this coming weekend? Well I guess the um, the other big one at the weekend is going to be uh, Lyon against Lille Lille will be coming off the back of their um, Champions League match against Chelsea so it'll be interesting to see what sort of frame of mind they're in it will either be a confirmation of uh, woe or it will be uh, they'll come back with Maybe some undue optimism to go into Lyon. And uh, if they win Lille, they could join Lyon on the same number of points as well. So uh, it could... Lille have somehow, despite their form, are still in the chat. They are, they are still in the European fight. So um, it doesn't, wouldn't take very much for them to get a little bit of confidence. Uh, Jocelyn Gorvenek must have it in him somewhere to be able to inspire his troops and uh, find something of that Galti-esque kind of leadership that uh, they seem to have lacked so far. But uh, yeah, I think Leon against Lille could be an interesting one. Absolutely. It always has been, Andy, since we've been following Ligue 1 as well. This has always been an interesting contest. And I think there, was, there were always links between the two clubs, weren't there? Lots of transfers. Michel Bastos became a legend at Lyon after, after being a small legend at Lille. Kim, Kim, Kals- no, Kim Kalstrom was Ren to, to Lyon. Yeah, well, of well, course, the, the, the Claude Puel link wasn't there going back about 15 years ago when, when he went from one club to the other yeah. one and, and Leon was spending a lot of money on players at there the was time. A, there, was a, there was a link <clears throat> up in the boardroom as well, wasn't there, with the Seydu family, who was uh, the, the cinema tycoon, who was head of Lille and also on the board at Leon, I think, and doing a bit of business. You're thinking of uh, J- Jérôme Seydu at, at Leon. We're getting a bit, um, bit out of our depth here, aren't we, talking about cin- cinema, <laughs> cinema tycoons? But yeah, the, 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 the Seydu family link between, uh, between the two clubs. And <clears throat> of course, big clubs who, who, you know, beyond anything else, need results, don't they, to get themselves into European contention. So that, that it's always cold at the Group Amma Stadium at this time of year. That's one thing I would say, but... Um, apart from that, should oh, be it's good. It's cold game. at the Stade Pierre Mauvais as well. <laughs> My God, I remember the cup games at Lille in January and February. 
goodness me, you wouldn't wish it on anyone. That's it for us this week on Le Beaujeu. Remember, get in contact, whether it be Twitter or Gmail, Le Beaujeu, Ligue 1 podcast at gmail.com. Matt Spiro will be back next week to take charge and get this thing back on the rails. From me, Robbie Thompson, Andy Scott and Angus Tarot, thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Bye. Messi again. This time maybe Messi's done it.